Welcome to Future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, and together we'll explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Future of XYZ is presented in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with esteemed speaker, consultant, and professor, uh, Terry Givens, Dr. Terry Givens. Uh, Terry, thank you so much for joining us on Future of XYZ. Uh, it's really my pleasure to be here with you. So I'm really excited because um, we're going to talk about the future of empathy. And empathy is a topic that I have a huge passion for as a values-based leader uh, and brand builder. I also wrote a thesis myself talking about reciprocity, re mutual respect, and empathy as a piece of that in college. So when this opportunity came on to talk to you, who has so much experience in the higher ed space as the first female and first African-American vice provost at Midland Park College, as well, obviously, as at the University of Texas, Austin. And now you're a professor at McGill University up in Montreal in political science. Um, and you've served in other capacities in higher education as well. You've written a lot about racism and anti-racism. Uh, you have a book on the roots of racism. You have a book on immigration in the 21st century. But your most recent book that came out last year, or maybe two years ago now, is called Radical Empathy. And I really, really want to talk about the future of empathy in the context of this. But as I always try to do, <laughs> the first question for any guest on the subject matter is what is, how do we define empathy? Right. And, you know, it's interesting because there's kind of a clinical definition of empathy, but I like to think about empathy kind of in a more organic way that it's this idea that you can actually put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see their perspective, but go beyond that. Um, because we talk a lot about, oh, you know, I need to see it from somebody else's perspective. It's not just about that. It's actually thinking about not only can I put myself in their shoes and, and try to understand how they're feeling, what the actions they might take, but it's also, you know, thinking through, you know, what would I do not as Terry in that person's shoes, but as that person, you know, what is that, what are the, and it, it really pushes you to understand the broader experiences of somebody because it's easy to say, oh yeah, you know, I, I can see things from their perspective, but no, it, you have to go a little bit beyond that and say, I not only can see things from their perspective, but given their broader experience, right? You have to think about the, um, the, from a more global perspective. It, it is. It's a, it's a macro kind of lens that you're taking because, of course, that old adage, walk a mile in, you know, my shoes, your shoes, his shoes, her shoes, their shoes, it is, is so important, but it's almost impossible to do if you don't understand contextually, historically, systemically, what that actually means, right? Absolutely. And that's exactly why I tell people, you know, so I have steps, right? To, for radical empathy. So I might as well introduce those now. Absolutely. Yeah, please. <laughs> so the first step is the willingness to be vulnerable because, and, and people ask me all the time, oh, being vulnerable, I can't do that. You know, it's not being vulnerable with other people necessarily. I, I do think you need to be vulnerable with others, but it, the first step is being vulnerable with yourself. And I know because I had to be vulnerable. I mean, I, if you read my book, I'm vulnerable all over the place. And that was extremely difficult. That was probably the hardest book part of writing this book was that first step was willingness to be vulnerable because I had to open up and say, oh, my God, you know, I I have to understand 
you know, my, it's funny because you think about empathy, but self-empathy is so important. And that's the vulnerability component. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Renee Brown and, and her ideas about vulnerability. Yeah. And so that vulnerability allows you to look inside yourself and say, oh, I was impacted by the way my parents raised me. I was impacted in a particular way because of structural racism, whatever it may be. And how we internal, you know, I talk a lot about you know, internalized depression, but we internalize so much. It's not even, you know, internalized depression necessarily. It's just we internalize a lot, right? Absolutely. And it, it comes from our families, from our friends, from, from society more broadly, right? So we live in a context. And okay. so that, can I just yeah. ask you something really quickly? Cause I, sorry to interrupt, but I know that That's that okay. first step is being vulnerable. And you talked about being vulnerable with ourselves and kind of emp- self-empathy. There's a lot of talk in the 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 healing world and personal development world around compassion and self-compassion. Mm-hmm. How are how are empathy and compassion different? Right. And so I, I say for self but broadly. Right. Absolutely. And I talk about this in the book because compassion is like I can you know compassion is kind of I have compassion for you but you know, I feel sorry for you, you know compassion to me is is just too static it's 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 not you know and we ha- we might as well put it out there because you know radical empathy is about taking action right and so i feel like compassion is great i have compassion for a lot of people i have compassion for people who are you know we have several wars going on in the world right now i have compassion for those people but you know what am i doing about it um, am I actually, you know, going beyond just compassion? So, you know, there's a, a huge overlap between e- empathy and compassion, but I see empathy um, going further, right? I'm not just feeling sorry for somebody. I'm actually trying to understand how they're being, you know, like, what would it be like to be in that situation where somebody can't, doesn't have access to, to water? Um, and what, but what can I do about it? And so the radical compassion, component of radical empathy is is taking action um doing something you know it may be you know as simple as making a donation to the red cross but it could be as much as um you know going into a nearby community and saying how can i help you guys get fresh water yeah I, i i love that it's it's tied to action i think given what your background is professional background and educational background specifically you know there is this very, I think, developed understanding how important empathy is to healthy human relationships and being able to grow and develop as an as a human, which is, of course, the found, what education is all about. Higher education is all about. Um, as we look at this, you know, kind of not just experiencing their point of view, we talk about the macro and understanding. I mean, what is the role of empathy in in kind of the state of the world that we live in today? which is so divisive and chaotic. And as you said, multiple wars and climate crises and various other debt crises and various other things happening. Um, What is the state of empathy and how important is it for a healthy, functioning society? Well, part of the reason I wrote this book is I see these divides developing both from a political perspective, but more broadly. I mean, basic things like, you know, understanding that climate change impacts all of us, not just one group or another, right? Um, and so, you know, the the subtitle to the book, you know, Radical Empathy, Finding a Path to Bridging Racial Divides. But I think it goes beyond, you know, if I could redo it, I would say just go, finding a path to bridging divides, period. Because, you know, I, I focus on the racial component because that's my life experience as well as my research. 
But um, I think it's important for other divides as well. So I think that empathy is is problematic right now. People are having a hard time empathizing with, and actually, there's it's almost like there's been this this individualistic push, you know, since the '80s, really, to say, oh, you know, it's just about you, and and you know, you need your freedom, and and we forget that we have this community, right? It's yeah. interesting because That's people want to say. Yeah. And people, you know, it's the funny thing is even some of the people who are, you know, the most individualistic, I recognize, oh, well, except for, you know, kind of the survivalists who live somewhere that, but, you know, we all live in communities and we're all impacted by what's happening in our community. And I think we've lost sight of the the fact that as a country in the United States and you know, in a lot of countries, not just the U.S., Canada, wherever, We've forgotten this idea that, you know, what impacts my neighbor. Imp- you know, that's why I talk about, you know, the do unto others aspect of it. You know, Absolutely. why wouldn't I do unto others? And Because we, we all are impacted and we forget that. And so I was hoping to write something that would come at it from a perspective of somebody who started by looking at myself. Right. And, and not just somebody saying, oh, you need to do that. No, I needed to do it first. Yeah. Right. I can't go and tell you to have empathy unless I focus on why I need to have empathy. And so that's the approach of this book is to say that we've lost that perspective of having, you know, understanding why I'm not having empathy for maybe somebody who's across the political divide, turning that around and saying, you know, and I want to mention my, my, one of my favorite things a friend of mine, Greg Sattel said, which is empathy is not absolution. Mm. Um, and this is part of the problem. I think people think if I have empathy, it means I'm agreeing with somebody who has an opposite perspective from me. And it's it's not true at all. At empathy or, you know, doing unto others doesn't mean I have to agree with that person. I can completely disagree with somebody, somebody and still have empathy for them, try to understand their perspective and understand why they are doing what they're doing. Because guess what? If you do that, you can then understand how to respond to them in a way that maybe you can change their opinion. I mean, the reason we're having these divides is people are like, oh, I, I refuse to, you know, look at what you're looking at or try to understand you because I don't agree with it. And and whereas if we try to understand what's going on, and, and unfortunately, you know, some of it is manipulative in, in yeah. the, the a lot of the stuff. Misinformation, misinformation, conscious manipulation of for other by other means. Yeah. Exactly. So that's hard to battle against. But at a minimum, at a you know, human level, we can say, you know, I'm going to try to have some empathy with this person. You know, I, I've had neighbors who I disagreed with, but I could still have empathy for them. Absolutely. Right? Well, and you studied, I mean, you studied uh, international relations as an undergrad at Stanford, and then you went on and you got a master's and a PhD in political science, which, by the way, is also what I studied, but you are at UCLA. And I think what you're, I mean, political science, people always think is politics. And of course, it's yeah. not right. It's the functionings and the undergirdings of government and civil society. Um, mm-hmm. If you go back to the philosophers from ages, you know, there's always a point of view on what works. And I I'm hearing in what you're talking about here as a proposition and even the abridged, you know, new title of your, <laughs> you know, your book is is really talking about how do we make action and how do we get progress? Um, in whatever system and that is. And I think, you know, I want to go back to those six steps that you outline in the book mm-hmm. because they really do play a role, you know, starting with that willingness to be vulnerable. But they talk, they, they there's there's a role that they play, I think, from what I've learned it, about 
how we kind of, let's just say how we develop human empathy going forward, which is in, in exactly you and I agree would be is, is essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a process and it's a, it's a never ending process. Like I kind of consider these six steps circular because after willingness to be vulnerable, you have to be grounded in who you are. And that was so critical to my own development, um, in, including as a leader is being grounded in who I am in the sense that I'm not going to hide who I am. I, I'm not going to try to fit myself into assist, you know, whatever, you know, I'm not going to be a square pig in a round hole kind of thing. And to be, but to also have to w- mention Whitney Houston, my favorite song of hers is the greatest love of all and learning to love yourself. Right. I mean, that's where I see so much pain in our society is people who just can't, uh, first of all, can't empathize or, or love themselves. And people think, oh, you're just full of yourself if you love yourself. It's like, no, that's not it at all. It's like, how can you love somebody else if you don't love yourself and you don't see your own humanity? Right. So that's a, a huge component of it. And then um, being open to the experiences of others. Right. So I, I feel like you have to get through those first steps before you can be open to the experiences of others. And that's so critical as a leader, as somebody, as a teacher, as somebody who is working with anybody. Right. You have to be uh, open to other people's experiences, but also from the perspective of I'm accepting of myself. So I'm going to be accepting of you. And then we go on to practicing empathy. Uh, you know, we, we, we think that empathy Oh, some people have empathy, some don't. No, practicing empathy is so crit- critical. And actually, you know, I try to model that behavior, but I also, I, I talk pretty specifically about it in the classroom now with my students. Ever since I, you know, started teaching again after writing this book, I really do try to talk to them about modeling em- you know, as we're having class discussions, you know, put yourself in, you know, look at it from the perspective of your classmate, you know, and you would get such deep, interesting discussions because they're not so worried that a classmate is going to jump on them for saying something. Um, and so that practicing empathy is a daily thing. I do it all the time. I, I, I'm not perfect at it. I, nobody is, but it's something you have to practice to get to that taking action. And, um, and I and- want to pause you because I know that there are two more steps, but I, 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 you've, you've, you've set something up that I really want to explore, Terry, which is you're teaching empathy in the classroom. And obviously mm-hmm. with your long background in higher education, both on the higher institutional education side, but also as the former CEO of the Center for Higher Education Leadership um, and a consultant in other capacities, I feel like you've seen this. Like, can, Where does empathy fit in modern curriculums? And obviously you're teaching it right now as a result of this book, but does it exist elsewhere? And is there a role for teaching empathy in a world that is becoming more and more isolated and divided. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've worked with the Menlo Park City School District. I've worked with many, many universities and and um, individuals on this. And empathy, it, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say it, it needs to be an explicit part of the curriculum. I think what's better from my perspective is like I have a whole chapter on inclusive leadership, which is, you know, in a sense, I need to retitle that the next edition, you know, well, I'll talk about it differently because it's really just about um, learning to be inclusive more generally that allows us to, you know, sh- to really demonstrate empathy and build empathy into our classrooms. And, but, you know, I've worked with, um, you know, the superintendents and, and uh, you know, principals and, and, you know, various folks. Uh, and 
you know, even the leadership at my current institution, McGill, and I, I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm constantly coming back to them and saying, you know, you need to have some empathy. I just wrote a note to my provost saying, you know, we're, we're in a, a really difficult uh, discussion about some issues. And I said, you know, it's this is where empathy comes in, right? So it's not that I'm going to sit in the classroom and say, here's your, your lesson on empathy. It's more that it's, it's like, you know, anti-racism. You don't want to stand, stand up there. You know, that's why I, I don't like, you know, DEI workshops because it's like, okay, we're going to spend an hour talking about how to uh, have diversity, equity, inclusion. No, it's something that has to filter into every aspect of your teaching, of your your day-to-day life. And so it's more about learning how to model, learning, you know, internalizing empathy and take how to take action. And by in doing that, bringing it into the classroom and I, you know, I actually need to put together a little packet because I am always asked about, um, you know, how you do that. And, you know, if you have a class or you're going to have discussion, let the class, you work through this with the class and, you know, help have them decide what the rules are for engagement, you know, so that they're internalizing, oh, I need to, I want them to listen to me. So I need to figure out what are the rules we need to have so that we listen to each other. Sorry, I, it comes back to what I was, I think, where my head was when I was, you know, 21 years old, which is about, you know, it was like self versus capital O other was the, the title of thesis, which was all about, you know, how do you overcome the fact that we are all individuals? There's some shared experiences, you know, by being an African-American from Alabama. You know, there's an mm-hmm. experience of being African-American in America. There's an experience of being mm-hmm. black in the world. Right. I mean, just to just to they're not all the same. They're, they're microcosms mm-hmm. and we can on any topic, whether we're talking LGBTQ+, whether they're talking about, you know, white supremacy in a different manner, whether we're talking about being a woman, there are so many, you know, different ways that we otherize. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, where we're talking about in a world that studies, I mean, data is showing that the world is becoming less and less empathetic. I mean, actually, mm-hmm. legitimately, which is kind of crazy. And also data shows, science shows that humans tend to be more empathetic towards people who look like them, behave like them, are from there. So what you're talking about in the classroom of having to internalize for yourself first and then being able Mm -hmm. to say, oh, we need some rules of engagement in order to understand is what you're I'm thinking is the, the future of empathy which is there's a it's almost like cognitive behavioral therapy you have to have a pause exactly right yes absolutely and I love that connection to uh, cognitive behavioral therapy CBT because I've been working with this um, a little bit with my son who has the ADHD and it's like it's again you know so there's something you know he doesn't necessarily have all this you know his brain works differently you know he's neurodivergent and so I know that there's certain things he has to practice because they don't come to him as easily as they do to me or others. And so I, I, you know, he needs to understand it's not up through any fault of his own, you know, it's just, this is the way his brain works. And so not everybody, you know, some people are more empathetic than others and that, you know, for whatever reason that may be, it may be through training and maybe through, you know, just the way they were, whatever. Yeah. And nature and so we that's why it's important to understand that this isn't you know we have to work at it 
And just like with cognitive behavioral therapy, it's like a therapy, right? Yeah. You, we can call it empathy therapy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so I really love kind of putting it in that kind of context, which is that's why I say practicing empathy is so important. And and after practicing empathy, because that's the fourth step in your book, um, what comes after? We've we've talked about willingness to be vulnerable, being grounded in who you are, being open to the experience of others, and then practicing empathy. What are the other two two steps? And that's the radical part of it. It's so funny because I, I think some people see radical and they're like, "Oh, it's crazy." No, it's like it, radical part is taking action because you know, like I said, it's it's easy or easier to have empathy. But to take action is a whole nother thing. And that's why I think, um, you know, I, I wanted to make my book a, a different approach, which is that, um, no, we're not just going to say, uh, have empathy, you know, here's some stories. No, it's like, how do you take action? And actually, my next book project, I'm still working on the proposal, but it hopefully will be out in a year or two, is to look at how have people taken action? Because that's, a, you know, Every chapter ends with here's some actions you can take. But I really want to, um, you know, say, no, here's what people have done. Here's some examples. Right. Yeah. And especially since the summer of 2020 and George Floyd, how did people follow up you know, on their pledges? You know, who's actually done something? And there's a lot of really good examples out there. And there's a lot of examples of people who made pledges and didn't do anything. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. it goes both ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So taking action and creating change and building trust is really, you know, the important, I think, the radical side of it. If we can create change and build trust through empathy, then I think um, that's what's going to really get us to what I know you want to talk about next, which is the future. <laughs> which is the future, because, I mean, look, it's it's understood by by scientists that that people start developing empathy as, as young as like fully developed by like 18 months and it just continues to advance or perhaps not uh, as science mm -hmm. is currently showing over the course of adolescent childhood ad adolescence and then kind of stops at some point and what you're talking about is taking action as an adult really because that's where you have that moment of reckoning and where change societal change can really happen and of course the subtitle to your book is um i might get it wrong finding a path to bridging racial divides which is of course you know, it, it, this can be used for anything, but that is your purpose here. Um, so I understand mm -hmm. the follow-up of, of the book. And I think the sixth step, of course, is is maybe where that future lies. So talk to me as our mm -hmm. last question, Terry, about kind of what your greatest hope is for the future uh, and, and, and how empathy plays into that, thinking five, 10, you know, 20 years out. Well, I'm really hoping that empathy more generally becomes something you know, include things like inclusive leadership and, and inclusion becomes part of, you know, I, I'm, actually, it's interesting. A friend told me that they're, they're teaching my book at the Stanford Law School and, you know, several business schools have, have you know, are talking about it. And so I would love to see this kind of, you know, infiltrating into um, higher education more broadly, because that's where the leaders are coming from. So I think higher education has a huge role to play in this, in the sense that, you know, are some of our top leaders, some aren't, you know, some didn't go to college, but for those who do go, you know, especially law school, MBA, but even just basic undergraduate, um, you know, making this a, a component of it. And, you know, it's so funny because they're talking about banning DEI. It's like, 
we don't need DEI. We need people to understand each other. I mean, I'm not going to say DEI should go away at all. I, I, I think it's important. But um, I do think that we need to keep in mind for the future going forward, let's move away from trying to package things in a way that is be- unfortunately becoming you know, divisive and just say, look, if we can get people to understand empathy and inclusion and belonging, you know, maybe we can even get to a different idea about how we get, because we've been doing DEI for a long time. That's, that's why I wrote this book. Cause I was like, we aren't getting anywhere. If we're going to get some high load, we have to go be a, yeah, exactly. That's why I, that's exactly why I tell people, because it's like, if you have a DEI, a person who's the head of DEI at an institution, then DEI is their responsibility. I tell every leader I work with from the, the chancellor and provost and pr- president, principal, whatever, you are the lead DEI person on your campus, in your institution, in your organization. You are the top DEI person. And if you are not, then it's not happening. I, I, it's, it's so accurate. I, I, um, and I think Radical, your book, the steps, the tools, and just this conversation really helps frame up how that can happen and that it has to happen, as you say, start with yourself. Um, Radical Empathy, the future of empathy with Dr. Terry Givens. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really a conversation I would really love to be sitting down with a cup of coffee uh, and, 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 a, and a lot more time. Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll have to follow up and grab that coffee sometime. But thanks so much for having me. It's been a, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, well, thank you for joining us. And for everyone watching, um, thank you for watching us on Future of XYZ. If you didn't already know, you can also listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever. You can also watch on YouTube at ripbs.org forward slash XYZ. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. And if you want to nominate yourself or someone else as a guest, reach out via future-of.xyz. We look forward to another conversation in two weeks time. For now, think about everything we've talked about with Dr. Terry Givens. Consider getting her book, Radical Empathy, to learn more about how we can each be part of the change that we need to see in this world. Thank you. Speak again soon.